It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, kids. Uh, happy Friday to Friday. I was just going over this in my mind. Is it a hump day or is it Wednesday? And I and of course, I start with Friday. So that pretty much is going to set the tone for the program. Uh, welcome. It is Wednesday uh, for those who, who who care or are concerned about those types of details being accurate. Today would be Wednesday. It would be the 18th of October. Glad you're here. My name's Rob. You know who you are. Uh, Jack is uh, he's doing it uh, under the weather, uh, but he's here a trooper that he is. Um, so we're going to get this show underway in a little while. Peter Marr, the NHL uh, legend, the Hall of Famer for the Calgary Flames, is going to join us. Lots to talk about with Pete. Uh, some flame stuff and, and some NHL things. We, we got a rendering of what the uh, Heritage Classic is going to look like. Um, we can get into that in a little while. Uh, and, and a little bit of NFL stuff. And, and I do want to, if we can, check in on a project uh, the LA Clippers are going to open a new building um, and they've got some real innovation in their building. And I, I'm very curious to see if innovation is going to be part of what we see in Calgary with the new building here, or if it's just, you know, state of the art of the standard, uh, you know, just like all other state of the art, but you know, no innovation. So uh, we'll get into that. Uh, we are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 territory. Glad you are with us. We are an inclusive program. Everybody's welcome here. Um, do want to give a, a, a thanks and a shout out to Ken Dryden who joined us on Monday. Enjoyed that conversation greatly. If you have not, uh, did not, uh, have not seen it, did not listen to it, uh, go back and check out the podcast. My understanding is when I refer to you checking out a podcast, make sure you review it and give it a big love thing. Lots of stars, whatever it is. Um, anyway, uh, but Ken was awesome. Enjoyed the conversation. Um, certainly towards the end, if you're a, a hockey fan and uh, he weighed heavily into um, kind of the, uh, the situation involving, uh, headshots and, and just the overall leadership in hockey right now. So really appreciate Ken joining us. Uh, when last we spoke, the Calgary flames were getting set to play their third game of the year. That game is now over, has been for a while. As a matter of fact, uh, they fall in a shootout by a three, two score, a, a game number three, of a season likely shouldn't be as newsworthy as this one was, unless it's for the right reasons. Uh, it really wasn't for the right reasons, but we'll get to that. Well, I think one of them was a really right reason, actually. Uh, Calgary, one for five on the power play. 
Penalty kill continues to be good, three for three. So they shut down Ovechkin, 10 for 10, I believe, to start the season through uh, three games. So they picked up where they left off penalty kill wise. Um, certainly had opportunities to put this game away, uh, did not. And as a result, ended up going through a shootout and into overtime where uh, one of the stories comes up. But let's dial it back a little bit. Uh, Calgary nursing a 2 nothing lead. Uh, and then Matt Phillips, uh, formerly of the Calgary Flames organization, but of Cochrane. Um, a guy that uh, we've talked an awful lot about on this program really became somewhat of a mascot, if you will, for the trials and tribulations of this organization. I mean, we had Craig Conroy on here. They wanted to keep him. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the player wanted a fresh start, got a fresh start in, in Washington. Of course, Mitch Love, his former head coach with the Wranglers for the last couple of years, was uh, hired by uh Spencer Carberry and is, is part of the staff there so there was a connection there uh had a good training camp was quiet in a four nothing loss uh to Pitt, Pittsburgh but in game number two uh for the Capitals he uh, scored the the first goal for Washington assisted on the tying goal uh was named the first star uh you likely could have only written a better script uh had you had him scoring in the shootout or in overtime um having said all of that um, take the the Flames component out of it. Really happy, really really happy uh, for for, uh, for Matty Phillips. Um, I like the kid. Um, you know he's the underdog, right? The size is always going to be against him. Um, you know it's easy to dismiss that size. Um, I the only and I, and I hate to be the yeah but guy, and I, I don't mean to be the yeah but guy. Good, that's one. Now go do it again. Now go do it again. Uh, the the challenge of the National Hockey League is not necessarily arriving; it's staying. Uh, just ask Austin Zarnick. You know, a young Austin Zarnick who the Flames had for a year. Um, you know, got him away from Boston on a contract, and and he was just a great kid in the community. It was two years, I think. Um, great kid, good in the community, had potential, lit it up in the American Hockey League, but. Just never found his place at the NHL level and, and continues to this day. I mean, he's on another organization. He's with another organization. Actually, he's with Detroit now. I could be wrong on that. Um, and, you know, bounces up and down. I, I want Matty Phillips to be a everyday NHLer. So what, what he did Monday against Calgary tonight in, in Ottawa, he's got to do that against the Senators. He's got to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Um, we showed the picture of him last week and pushing the practice pucks. He's got to stay hungry. He's got to be humble and all those things, which I think he's capable of doing. But, um, you know, from that standpoint, uh, really happy for him. Um, tough break for the Flames. I mean, uh, you, you kind of want those games. If, if you're Craig Conroy in the organization, you, you kind of want those things to go quietly into the night, um, you know, and just – you know, he can have the breakout game tonight against Ottawa, but that's that's not necessarily how this works. So with that said, the Flames move on. They're off today again, two days in a row. They'll be in Buffalo tomorrow. They're in Buffalo now, but they'll take on the Sabres tomorrow, coming off a win against Tampa Bay. And then back to back, they're into Columbus on Friday night. So expectation you'd have to think is we'll see Dan Vladar with one of these starts in the next couple of games. Um, overall, just, just to go back to that Washington, I just feel like it's old news now, but um, yeah, I mean, they were better than they were in the first two games, deserved a better fate, didn't create a better fate. And that there's a difference there. Uh, I'm all for earning a better fate, but you've got to create a better fate. 
And that, that conversation to me is very similar. Oh, you know, we got goalie stood on his head. Well, you know, there's only so many times that you can use that before you begin to question the offense. And, and I know the guys on Barnburner have talked about this. Uh, we can talk about this with Peter Marr when he joins us, but uh, man, sometimes it looks like the flames are chopping wood through three games. Um, you know, we're able to, to respond really well against Washington or uh, against Winnipeg in game one. Um, you know, the game in Pittsburgh, you know, really good through 40, but only had one goal up and, and that cost them as they got blitzed early. And then in this game, um, you know, not, not only did they blow a two goal lead, but they had great opportunities down the stretch. Again, power play opportunity that they didn't cash in. So early in the season. Uh, one of the things I was, you know, watching with great interest was to see how uh, Ryan Huska would handle this would, you know, because he's been so uh, media friendly and, and so out there uh, and, you know, just a, a complete change from what we saw from Daryl, at least in that aspect of this business. Um, and so far, you know, continues to have a, a positive outlook on it. I mean, they're, they're legitimately the, the, they really are the epitome of 500 at this point. Um but I can I can definitely tell, and you, you watch Barnburner, you you know the guys are already going down this feels familiar territory, and and I get that part. So th this club owes it to its fan base, owes it to itself, owes itself, it owes it to the management to kind of shake that and and you know prove that they're not just another incarnation of the same team we've seen here for the last four or five years. Um, one last point, Kuznetsov. Uh, uh, I know a lot of people talked about this, uh, his shootout goal basically glided, uh, didn't even, you know, really didn't take any skating strides, was incredibly slow, came in, beat Markstrom. That ends up being the uh, the game winner. Um, I just, I, 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 um, I don't know. I'm kind of to the point now with all of you, you know, I'm done with shootouts. They, they served their purpose. And, and I think they were, you know, they, they jostled the league when the league needed some jostling. Uh, when they came in in the 04, after the 04, 05 lockout, they jostled the league that needed some jostling. Uh, we needed to to shake it up and get away from ties and, and all of those sort of things. It jostled it. Um, but again, what we saw, if you're going to keep them in and if you're going to allow that, then the hell with it. Let's give it a 15 second shot clock. And as long as the puck's live, keep going. Right. Take a shot. Goalie stops it. But you got seven seconds. Go get the puck. Keep going. I, that, I, I don't know what else you do because of the adaptation of the coaches. Again, I, I keep quoting the barn burner, but they would be the measuring stick in this conversation because they've been talking about this. But even watch three on three. Now three on three is not what it was when it first came into the league. It's not, it's overcoached again. And we're leaving, we're, we're not giving up the puck. We, we just, we, we choose not to give up the puck. Um, God bless uh, the NHL for trying. Uh, I just have this sneaking suspicion. If you created an overtime, which was your two goalies and that's it one puck, some coach would find a way to play de defense on it. Um, if you truly want, to create excitement that cannot be defended, if you truly want to create mistakes that lead to scoring chances, if you truly want that type of opportunity and those types of chances, you've got to eliminate the coaching. And there's no way they're going to do that. There's no way they're going to do that. And I, 
much to my uh, chagrin or much to the chagrin of my friend, uh, Rob uh, Cookson, I said this 10, 15 years ago, we were complaining about scoring. You want more scoring? Create mistakes. You got to introduce mistakes. That's why junior hockey is so exciting. There's still mistakes in junior hockey. There are not, there's getting to be the same resources. There's getting to be the overcoaching, but the coaches are too good. The data is too good. The uh, ability to adapt on the fly is too quick. So now even three on three overtime can become boring. The shootout, you know, we're going to go through every match, you know, imaginable combo of we're going to slow down. We're going to go fast. Unless you do something radical, you're not going to change any of this. So I know we want to get rid of the shootout and go to 10 minute three on three. Sure. Um, But if we do that, be prepared for the consequence of that. The unintended con. I don't even know if it's unintended. The consequence of that will be the coaching. The coaching will adapt. Uh, during the um, the the lockout of twelve thirteen before the season came back, spent a lot of time in the American Hockey League, and they were NHL was testing things. And one of the things they were testing was the no touch icing. And I just remember the first bunch of games in the American Hockey League. It was a it was kind of hectic and turnovers happen and things like that. As soon as the coaches realized that it was actually not so much about getting to the puck, but getting a, a race to the, uh, to the dot or whatever to, to, you know, get that, th- they changed it. And, and it, it's safer, which w- was the main intention, but it didn't certainly didn't create any more uh, mistakes or challenges or things like that. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people debating the the merits of Kuznetsov and, and, and Kuznetsov, I should say, and, and the way he approached Markstrom, um, you've allowed this to happen. It's, it's within the rules. Um, you know, unless you want to put a shot clock on it, you know, not that he would have dragged Hey, maybe he would have, but, um, you know, if you really want to radically, uh, you know, approach your overtime, then put a shot clock and say the puck's live, unless it's covered, you know, you take a shot and the goalie catches it dead. But if it goes off the pads into the corner, yeah, you might have six seconds to bring it back out. Um, won't happen in a million years. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not advocating. I'm just saying that's the other option. The, the one thing I suspect we're going to see here real soon is is the elimination of the shootout and going to a 10-minute three-on-three. But even there, there are teams, not all, and I shouldn't say not, you know, there are some really good fire wagon back and forth three-on-threes, but there are also some coaches that will uh, take the opportunity to grind it, slow it down, and, and, and make sure that um, they're not giving up anything. Um, one other NHL note, uh, and I want to get to a couple other things, NFL and NBA things. Uh, Elliot Friedman first reported this on Saturday, doubled down on it today. Uh, lots of and now everybody else is kind of reporting on it. But the NHL is going to look at a decentralized draft. So much like the NFL, and I believe the NBA, um, clubs stay home and, and the prospects attend. Um, there is a desire change, probably not this year, but maybe in the coming year. That's according to Elliot. Um, it, I, I don't know. I, I, I think there's two ways of looking at this. One, if you're a reporter or somebody in our peer group here, you know, I, I went to drafts for almost a decade and loved it. Loved going to the other city Loved having all the players and all the coaches and all the GMs in one place. Loved all the media. Saw value in that. Created content out of that. Um, I think there's 
you know, there's something to be said about having that event where everybody comes together. But I don't think that that's impactful on the audience that the NHL really, really cares about. It's more of a television audience that they want to they want to draw. And um, and I think the other part of that is they want to accommodate the teams who feel like there's a lot of business that they can do, a lot of work that can be done. So anyway, um, we'll get to some of the NFL stuff. And I want to look at an NBA building. Just give you that food for thought. Um, our next guest has been to drafts too. He might even have a thought on it. Of course, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years, 76 years. Now they didn't have the website for all 76. They may as well though, but they've had the service and the care and detail attention for 76 years, soon to be 77 years. When they fire up fully, four locations. Right now, two locations. You can check them out, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. Bow Ridge Road Northwest by McDonald's at the bottom of the hill by Windsport. And again, check out the snowboards. Check out the traditional skis. Check out the snow skating. Everything you need. Uh, we bring in the Hall of Famer. Uh, I believe seven Halls of Fame, if we're going to be honest about all of this. Uh, he's our good friend, our dear friend, and he is the voice of the Calgary Flames for so many of us. Peter Marr joins us here on a uh, uh, somewhat gloomy, I guess, Pete fall day but typical fall day how about that well pete we can't hear you well pete we can't hear you oh did you get it oh you got you on mute there we had the same problem with ken dryden so you're in you're in very elite company we will get Pete connected up here. Um, that's, hey, that's the beauty of live, right? You know, if we did the podcast and just put it out, you'd never know the fun and frivolity that we're having back here. Uh, but here we are. So uh, we will try and get Pete back here momentarily. Uh, we've done this before. We know it works. Uh, we'll get them all set up. Um, by the way, uh, mention the Flames back in action tomorrow against Buffalo uh, and then Friday against uh, Columbus, Sunday against Detroit. We will have Afterburner after all of those shows, so make sure you check out Afterburner. So when the game's over and you want to find out what happened or if you want to bounce some ideas or if you're thinking when you thought what was happening, it's a good show to do that with. So Afterburner coming up immediately following uh, tomorrow's game, Friday's game in Columbus, and Sunday's game coming up in Detroit. And a great opportunity as well to throw some uh, questions in the uh, chat as well as Jack will, uh, as always, we've adopted this now for the last month or so, but um, uh, yeah, fire away your questions, your comments, put them in the uh, chat. Jack and I will take a look at them um, and get to them here in a little bit. Um, Flames, real, relatively quiet on this trip uh, from the standpoint of doesn't seem to be any significant injuries. Um Nobody's really in the doghouse at this point. Um, you know, sometimes you go on this road trip, which you heard Huska. Huska wanted to do the road trip early. Um, so anyway, let's do this. We'll bring Pete back. Pete, how about this time? Can I hear you this time? Uh, hello, hello, hello. I can hear you fine. Oh, Good. perfect. Perfect. <laughs> As you know, Rob, I'm not a technical genius. I once broadcast a whole period of a hockey game that nobody heard <laughs> because I hadn't put the uh, the telephone line into the broadcast equipment. 
<laughs> Pete, we were never hired for that part. We were hired for other things, right? I think I told the story about the time the Lanny McDonald was going for his 50th goal in uh, the 1982-83 season. And it was on a Friday night in Buffalo. The game started 5 o'clock Calgary time. There was no TV in the game anywhere. It was strictly on radio. And so Doug Barkley, who's my color commentator, we were in there ready to do the show when the broadcast line kicks out. So then I grabbed the uh, telephone there from the, in the broadcast studio. There were no cell phones in those days, back in 1983. And so uh, I start, we start handing the phone back and forth, talking as the play-by-play is going on. Then that line kicked out, didn't work anymore. And so now I'm sitting there for about <clears throat> 10 minutes, not on the air, thinking, Lanny, please don't score now. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> and Lanny must have been listening because he waited until the third period to score his uh, 50th goal. Uh, that turned out to be the only goal the Flames scored in that game. But uh, but uh, that was his 50th goal, the first Calgary Flame to have a 50-goal season. So can you, can we you almost imagine? missed it, but we didn't get it on. Yeah, but I can have you imagine? I don't know. It's all good. But can you imagine, Pete, like if you didn't have – coverage of a game today right like you know radio has always been your friend radio never lets you down television that's a different story and that you know nobody got to see that right they got to hear it but nobody got to see it in calgary yeah that's right you know you go back into the into the 80s when the flames first arrived here over half the games weren't on television in right. fact, that went on until almost the 2000s when, you know, the sports uh, networks came in. And that's when mm-hmm. uh, we started to see all the Flame games uh, on on television. And, uh, you know, for the longest time, half of them weren't on TV. So it was always a radio audience. And, you know, everywhere I go, a lot of places I go to, people will come to me and say to me, you know, I grew up listening to you. I'd be in my dad's car and he'd be listening to the Flames game. And uh, I don't know how many times I've had that mentioned to me over the years. In fact, it happened again once this last week here. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing situation how it was back then and how so much has changed now. The the, the crazy one, and I, I, I'm sure you got these too, but um, with AM signals, and I, I'm not a scientist and I'm not an engineer, so I don't know exactly how it works, but we both know that in the winter when it's colder – signals are can be stronger and it was not uncommon for us at the radio station to get a package from sweden or finland where somebody caught the game and recorded it on cassette tape and say hey i'm over in finland and i got this skip which absolutely blew my mind again i don't understand how science works but it's crazy sometimes you know the old am that's a part of this i yeah modern technology is great and ai and all that stuff but there's something to be said about a good old am radio in the middle of winter yeah, no question. I did get similar. I got similar responses you got, Rob, from people over in Europe who are listening into some of the games for some reason. I don't, as you say, I have no idea technology, technically why that <laughs> happened, but it was amazing back in those days. So it's, it's, but it changed so dramatically now. So some of, you know, a lot of it for the good, some of it not for yeah. the good. Um, speaking of good, uh, before we get too far into the hockey, I want to go back to uh, between this visit and our last visit. You were active and busy on Thanksgiving with the uh, walk and run for Alzheimer's, Pete. How did it go? Rob, it was the largest participation and the most fundraising event uh, that we have had in the history of 
the uh, the Alzheimer's uh, uh, walk and run. It was just an incredibly beautiful day. I mean, the temperature eventually that day, I think, got to be 25. Uh, the walk and run, of course, was in the morning, starting at around 10 o'clock. And, um, you know, the, the, it was beautifully out and uh, and not quite that warm. But I remember going in there with a heavy jacket on and, and that sort of thing. Sure. And uh, wasn't far into it. You got, took some clothes off. It was uh, it was that type of day. And, of course, the, the spirit of that event is something that has always drawn uh, me to it. Of course, I've been the honorary chair for that event now for 16, 17 years. And, you know, the very first time that I went, I was just amazed with the the uh, participation of the people and a lot of them bringing one of their loved ones or two of their loved ones who are affected by uh, dementia or Alzheimer's and had them in wheelchairs and were uh, wheeling them around the the uh, the route of the the walk and so uh, you know the uh, the intense uh, emotion of those events is certainly something that I've always uh, been uh, drawn to and will continue to be drawn to uh, as long as I can. And certainly uh, we had a great, great outing. I want to thank the many, many people who came. We not only had a record number of people participating, but we got a record number amount of uh, dollars earned from that event. So that uh, made it really, really worthwhile uh, getting uh, that kind of response from the uh, Alzheimer's Calgary uh, walk run. Well, I, you know, I'm lucky to have had a mentor like you and a mentor like Mike Rogers, because right when I got here and joined you guys in 2003, both of you have always been active in the community and um, causes like this and, and showing up when it matters the most. So good on you, Pete, and uh, continued success. Uh, obviously, you have no, no no desire to slow down, so continued success with that. Um, well, I, that's my, I hopefully will be able to continue on that for a good long while. I owe you a bit of an apology. Um, when we last visited, I missed one thing on your list, Pete, and I feel terrible about it. And I want to go back because I have not given you the opportunity. Um, last Thursday, we said goodbye to Chris Snow. Um, it was a, an incredible um, eulogies given and, and uh, just the whole day was, was very special, but I just wanted to give you an opportunity because I, I did accidentally miss that point the last time you were here. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, uh, he's just a tremendous guy. I, I didn't get to know him as uh, closely as you did, Rob, uh, over the last bunch of years where I haven't been involved with, uh, with flame broadcasts and that sort of thing. But I remember meeting Chris back in, in Minnesota when he was, uh, when he was working with uh, Doug Reisbrow, the former flame uh, player, general manager, and coach, but then he eventually went to Minnesota and was general manager of the Wild, and he hired uh, hired him as the uh, as an analytical guy, basically, to work in the management role for that team and be one of the very first, if not the first, uh, analytical person involved in the National Hockey League, and Chris, of course, had a bit of a baseball background from his uh, his time in Boston, where he was a uh, where he was a, a sports writer there, and uh, I I all got to know him a little bit, as I say, when he was in Minnesota, when the Flames would be playing the Wild, he'd have a little bit of a, a chat with him, and uh, then um, when Doug Reisbrow got let go as uh, GM in uh, Minnesota. Uh, Chris was uh, gone as well, but uh, the Flames stepped right in and uh, brought him into Calgary to uh, introduce uh, that type of analytics to the Flame organization. And obviously, it's very, very valuable all those years that he had uh, in the Flames organization, uh, not only with the analytics, but also involved in, in management, being the assistant general manager 
for, for a number of years involved in negotiations with uh, players for salaries and, and contracts and, and that sort of thing. And also passing on valuable information to the coaching staff. And from what he can understand, was almost right up to the time that he passed away that he was uh, involved in, in helping the team out. And uh, you know, he actually went out to uh, Penticton when they had the uh, Young's uh, game. Young's uh, Stars had their, uh, their event out there with uh, the other teams from uh, Western Canada. And, uh, you know, that was uh, very shortly before uh, he went into, mm-hmm. uh, into very much discomfort and ultimately passed away. So certainly um, my sympathies to he and his family. Uh, they have certainly set up a, a, a great cause for LSD. And interesting to note that the the two road games the Flames have played so far, uh, the uh, the home team is getting involved in uh, in the uh, Chris Snow situation with ALS and asking people to make donations to that cause and having their fifty fifties uh, uh, focused in that direction. So it, it's great to see that is uh, being helped out in that manner. That'll leave uh, Snowy's uh, Snowy's uh, time with uh, the world and his family. Uh, continuing to go on and hopefully be helpful for many, many, many thousands of people in the future. They can find a cure for that very difficult disease. Peter, um, I don't really have uh, a whole lot for you from my end, a couple things that I wanted to ask you about, but uh, one weekend, let's start there. Um, what have you seen so far? What's caught your attention in a one, one and one record for the flames? Well, you know, Rob, in, in many ways, it's really too early to make any assessments of, of, of the team. Uh, three games into a campaign certainly is a very, very small a barometer of uh, what is uh, what is going to take place as the season goes on. But, uh, you know, it was uplifting to notice that the power play is uh, operating at a 27.3% uh, success rate so far. Uh, Mark Savard, who I got to know when he mm-hmm. played for the Flames back in 1999 and on to uh, 2002. Uh, he, he was uh, he was a, a, a very good hockey player. He was also a very interesting guy to interview. You may want to try to get him on this program uh, sometime right. when the Flames are back in town because I certainly enjoyed uh, the chats I had with him back then. So uh, a very knowledgeable hockey guy. He's been coaching in junior hockey, a little bit of NHL coaching experience and on the head co- or assistant coaching uh, situation. And uh, he is in charge of the uh, power play. Now, it was a bit disappointing that the power play uh, couldn't come through with uh, with a goal and the two chances they had late in the game uh, against Washington the other night. But uh, nonetheless, overall, it's uh, producing at a much better rate than it was last year. And the penalty kill has been awesome as well, not allowing any uh, power play goals again so far uh, this season. So, you know, another interesting aspect is that uh, they have um, they have had the lead and lost leads in all, all three games they have played uh, so far. Uh, ultimately, they were able to win the game at home on their home opener uh, that they had against Winnipeg. Although each time they had a one-goal lead, uh, the Winnipeg would come back and tie it up. But ultimately, uh, the Flames would go on to win 5-3. to three. And then, of course, uh, they had the 2 nothing lead in Washington the other night, only to have the uh, Capitals come back and uh, win that game in the uh, shootout. And then, of course, they had a one nothing lead over Pittsburgh in the game on Saturday. And then the Penguins came to life in the third period and uh, were able to uh, win that game by a uh, 5-2 score. But when, you know, I was watching that game and I was thinking Flames having the lead going into the third period, I was thinking, well, this is a real good sign because Pittsburgh had played the night before in Washington yeah. and then had to travel back to uh, Pittsburgh. Now, that's not a tremendously long flight, but nonetheless, it does take up mm-hmm. time traveling back and then getting your homes and that, that type of thing in two games and two nights. So I thought, 
Maybe the uh, Penguins wouldn't have much uh, in the tank for the third period, but uh, unfortunately for the Flames, they did and uh, came on to score the four goals and uh, gain themselves the uh, the victory in, in that contest. Uh, another bright spot in that game from a Flames standpoint was uh, Matt Coronado scoring his uh, first NHL goal, and uh, he scored it with uh, with that very quickness of a shot that uh, we mm-hmm. heard so much about when he was playing college hockey and displayed a little bit of that uh, last year when he got to play that one game with the, uh, with the flames. But this looks like a guy that uh, it's still early to, uh, you know, to yeah. bank heavily on this guy, but he certainly is showing even in the regular season games so far that he's capable of playing in the, in the NHL. Pete, the observation that I, I made, because I agree with you on the release, but on that goal too, um, and it, it's it's not, you know, it's it's not a, an amazing skill or anything like that, but it's an important skill. Was his ability to push off and find the quiet ice? He didn't stay with the defender. He just quietly backed away. It reminds me a little bit of Camilleri and how Camilleri would get that one timer going. He's he's got a long career ahead of him. He'll define who he and what he is. But boy, there's a couple of little things in there from an offensive standpoint that that are instinctive that you really like to see in young players. Yes, definitely. I mean, he shows all kinds of great, uh, great qualities for a, a guy so young and so little professional hockey experience. Uh, you know, when he was playing in the college rank, I'm sure he was dominating things there. It's a much different game in the NHL, but he's certainly uh, showing that he belongs with what we've seen from him uh, so far. And uh, I'm sure he's only going to get better as uh, he gets more experience here with uh, playing in the league and more experience with the teammates uh, that he's playing with uh, with the Flames. Um. Can I get you to explain? I was I, I was explaining it on the last show, but I it's better coming from you. Your rule of thumb when it comes to adjudicating teams. When do you begin to pay attention? When do you think you really learn about a team? Well, Rob, this is a theory that I developed a long time ago, and uh, obviously there are some exceptions to it. But usually, you you look at a team through the first fifteen to twenty games of a, of a regular season. And if you're if you're surprised in a positive way or if you're surprised in a negative way, uh, you shouldn't draw conclusions at that point because it's proven out that over the next 15 or 20 games, then you find out what your real team is. I mean, as I say, there have been some exceptions, but there have been there have been times when I've seen flame teams start off uh, really, really uh, poorly in those first 10, 15 games and then get it together again uh, in the next 15 or 20 games. And that. That is what you would see for the remainder of the season, for the most part, and so that you know that's the rule of thumb I have. I had a whole bunch of statistics on that when I was uh, doing the uh, the broadcast of Flame games, uh, producing the proof of that. And so it, it it really is too early, three games into a year, to uh, make an assessment of a team. Even a quarter of the way through, it's difficult to make an assessment of a team. Now, if a team you're expecting to start off really good and it starts off really good, that's you know that's a normal course and likely to continue. Or if you have a bad team and it starts off poorly, that's likely to continue as well. Uh, but uh, when, when it's a bit of a surprise, if teams get off to a strong start or a weak start, what you see over the say the the second uh, quarter of the season to me is when you get a, a, an opportunity to really see what your team is going forward for the for the balance of the year. If if I remember correctly, and I and I might be off by a year, but I want to say the two thousand one or the two thousand two Flames. Uh, got off to a really good start under Roman Turek, was really good. And weren't they like the best team in the NHL through the first 20 games? And then the wheels fell off. 
Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't, if they weren't the best team in the NHL over the first 20, they were very, very close to that, Rob. And and you're right. Then they get into that second quarter of the season and the wheels just totally fell off the team. And ultimately, they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. And when you get off to the type of start they had, you figured, well, even if they fall back a little bit, they, they should have enough uh, enough in the bank here to, to make the playoffs. But that was not the case. It fell off so dramatically uh, during that season. So it's, uh, yeah, that, that, that is, to me is a really solid gauge. Not to get too excited over the first quarter of, of, of a hockey season if your team's doing well or even if it's not doing that well because sometimes it can bounce around and most times it'll bounce around and you get to where it should be in the, in the second quarter. Uh, now the to that end, if you're going to give it a, a team. Oh, go ahead, Pete. <laughs> no, I was just, just noting the – the, the difference in the Flames' starting schedule this year is compared to the one last year is rather it's rather dramatic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're starting off the, the first year uh, this year playing the, the first game at home and then on the road for five consecutive games. Last year, they played nine of their first ten games in the Saddledome. And I remember when I saw the schedule that time uh, before the season even got started, I was thinking to myself, Daryl Sutter, who was then the coach of the Flames, is not going to like this schedule with so many of those games at home at the uh, at the beginning. And as it turned out, the, the Flames started off, they won their first four games uh, of, uh, of that uh, start of the season. And then they lost four straight games uh, at home. And then went on the road and lost four more straight games. And suddenly uh, the team was uh, off, uh, well off the pace that they had put in in the uh, start of the, uh, the regular season. And this year, of course, they're starting off with five of six games on the road. I think if Daryl was still coaching, and in fact, Usually, the schedule is made up before the prior season is even over. So I would guess that last year, that Daryl Sutter last mm-hmm. year, along with Flame Management, put it into the NHL that they wanted to, if possible, start the season with more games on the road as opposed to having a heavily oriented uh, home schedule. And, uh, you know, this. Uh, so this is, I, this is why I think the, the schedule is starting this way because Daryl didn't want it for this type of year this year, not knowing that he wasn't going to be coach of the team. So... Starting off with five or six of the road, it allows a team to develop a little bit of uh, personal chemistry. You do that on the ice, and you do that off the ice, and you do it much better uh, when you're on the road as a, as a group. You get out to have dinners to, together, you have practices, and after practice you stay together more, whereby when you're at home you have a practice and uh, then the players go back to their, their families and, and their home life and that sort of thing. Uh, while on the road, they got a much better opportunity to mix. Now, yesterday was a total day off for the team after having played the game, uh, having played a game the night before. And so, uh, you know, that was a good opportunity, I would say, for them to to mesh together. And, uh, you know, this going forward may be a big help for this uh, team, the fact that they're starting off with uh, with five of these six games on the road. Hopefully they can come away with it with, uh, you know, at least a couple more, uh, three more victories would be nice as well. Uh, to come back home with a pair of games and then move on to Edmonton for that game at Commonwealth Stadium. So uh, I really like the the setup the schedule has for the team this year. And also uh, with the way it's shaping up with a game in Buffalo on on Thursday and then a Friday game uh, in uh, Columbus, I'm sure we're going to see Vladar in goal for one of those games. And that'll give him an opportunity to uh, to see what he can uh, show to the team as well as other teams around the league. Because with the Flames having a young Wolf playing with their American Hockey League Wranglers here in Calgary, I'm sure they want to give him a look with the big team mm-hmm. at some particular point. And I'm, I'm guessing that Ladar is likely the guy they may be shopping around 
uh, to see if they can get a defenseman or, or a forward in return for him. So uh, I'm sure he'll get to play one of these next two games for the team. Markstrom, I think, has been off to a pretty good yeah. start for the for the team. About the first home game, uh, he, he was the guy that basically saved it for them with the the mm-hmm. amount of pressure that Winnipeg put on the Flames, especially in that first period of the game, and he came up with a number of great saves. He let in perhaps one goal or so in each of the games so far that I'm sure he'd like to have back, but so far he's been performing better than we saw from him uh, last season. I, You know, I was going to ask you that, and so you've answered that, so I'll skip to the next one, which is the other guy that everybody was paying attention to, Huberto. Um, they've gotten their points. I, you know, you and I were talking about Sidney Crosby and generational players in your last visit, and I thought that game in Pittsburgh, that was all on the back of Sidney Crosby in that third period. He just he only had one assist, but he came out and he absolutely dominated that period. Still haven't seen that from Huberto, still haven't seen that from Kadri. Like, at some point, the Flames are going to need these guys to come up and dominate some shifts. Yeah, I, I don't think that either one of those guys that you mentioned, Huberto or Kadri, are in the same caliber as Sidney Crosby. Oh, but no, they no, can no, have no. more yeah. effect on a game than they have been showing with the Flames basically at any time uh, here with Calgary. That Kadri last year uh, got off to a strong start with uh, with the Flames, and then his game tailed off, it seemed, more and more as, as the year went on. And maybe some of that had to do with the fact that the previous season uh, he uh, won a Stanley Cup playing with Colorado, and that season, of course, went into almost July, if not July, and, and made for very little uh, off season. But he's not getting himself off to a, to a really great start either. And the same with Huberto. He, he made one play there to setting up a goal, but we haven't seen we haven't seen nearly enough of that. You know, he, he, the the advanced billing on him uh, when he played with the, the Florida Panthers was that he was an excellent passer and uh, and doesn't shoot the puck nearly enough. Uh, he doesn't certainly doesn't shoot the puck nearly enough in this time he's been here with the Flames, but his playmaking ability has not been all that sharp as well on a, on a uh, on a consistent basis. So. They're still, as they say, early and lots of time for these guys to pick it up. Part of it could be, too, the fact they're playing with a different system. Uh, they're playing more of that man-on-man system when Daryl was coaching, and now they're playing another style altogether. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes that takes adjustment. Uh, you have a preseason. That's usually when you tr- can make the adjustment. With the problem with the preseason games, you perhaps play only one or two of those preseason games with your regular lineup because you're giving young players an opportunity to see what they can do at uh, the NHL preseason level. And as a result, you don't get your regular team out there until perhaps uh, the last couple of games. So I give those guys as well as others on the team a little more time to uh, see if they can uh, get themselves more into into form with the new system the team uh, wants to play, that Coach Huskis wants them to play. And, um, and then maybe we can see these guys coming back to playing more to their uh, their potential and their abilities that we've seen in the past. Um, one, I guess, kind of last one on on the Flames for me, and then if you got something else, that's cool too. Um, a thought on that Kuznetsov shootout goal, Pete? I mean, you you've seen every incarnation. You've seen you know no overtime straight ties, five on five straight ties, four on four straight ties, then shootouts, three on three. Um, I get it. Like I, I watched it and I, I'm frustrated by it, but I understand it's in the rules. What did you think of it? Well, as you say, he didn't break any rules, but my goodness, that was awful slow motion <laughs> way that he came in on that, uh, on that, uh, that uh, shootout opportunity. And, uh, and, you know, he almost easily scored the goal. I mean, you can, yeah. you can say Markstrom, 
maybe you should have done something different. But if you're the goalie, and Rob, you, of course, have had experience no. as a goalie, not at the NHL level, and it's more no. as a talking goalie. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let a talking goalie handle that situation. I would have screamed at him. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Move it, move it. Move it, exactly. But you know, an interesting aspect of Kuznetsov is apparently that when he started off uh, on the uh, shootouts, he wasn't having very much success going in with speed. And in fact, he had gone six consecutive uh, shootout attempts without scoring. And then he talked with somebody on the coaching staff and decided to use a slow motion approach on, on a, a shootout situation. And he scored goals on eight of the last nine shootout opportunities that he's been on since he's using this slow motion movement to the net. And each time that he scored, he scored with a shot on the goaltender's stick side. And he makes that move and then uh, the goaltender may be a little bit startled and he just shoots it to that stick side and it goes in. And uh, he apparently adapted this after having not having any success on on the uh, shootout attempt. So he plans to continue that unless uh, unless and why not unless the rules change, as you say, to put a time clock on that. Uh, but they can't do that until the the off season. But uh, but you know you're right. And the the three on threes when that first started, it was really entertaining to watch. Uh, and then uh, the coaches got uh, got themselves much smarter to the three-on-threes and adjusted accordingly. And as a result, the three-on-three situations uh, have not been as exciting for the most part as we used to see back when it first uh, started. And uh, and uh, the, we get the odd game where there's a lot of good flow back and forth, but more uh, more time it's uh, it's a game where the players are, are sitting back more so than being aggressive and going back and forth in, in a flow uh, type situation. And a lot of them feel they have a better chance to win uh, when they get to the shootout. And that's why they, unless you've got a great opportunity in the three-on-three three to score, the coaches want the guys to be a little bit more on the defensive orientation. So hear me out on this one, Pete. 60 minutes, the game is tied, and all of the coaches have to leave the bench. They have to go into the dressing room. And the, and the players then decide, which is the, no more overcoaching. The, the, the iPads, the assistant coaches, they go to the bench. And, and it's just up to the coaches. That's, that's what we do. Create more that way. That would be very interesting. But with the tech technology they have today, they may have headsets in the helmets yeah. of these players. <laughs> Telling them, that's slow great. it down, slow it yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. Drag it back out to center ice. Drag it back out to center ice. Oh, my God. I was, uh, but that, I, I, they could try that. <laughs> but that technology sometimes catches up. It's just really, uh, the you know, the coaches have every angle. They, once they have seen it a little bit, they can find an angle to uh, to thwart what situations that we consider very entertaining to make it more to a point where they have they feel they have a better chance to win, and that doesn't yeah. make it an exciting. Product. No, so, <laughs> no. But it, so, it, if you don't win, you know it's not going to be around a lot. So you've got to find all kinds of ways to win. So yeah, you're right. No, take them I, off the bench. Take them into the room and lock them up for lock yeah, them up and let the players solve everything. Right? They can make yeah. the line changes. They yeah. can figure out who's going to shoot. It'll all work out. Um, leaving, leaving the well, not really leaving the hockey heroes. Uh, we're ten days away, or no, I guess twelve days away. I think from the Heritage Classic. Um, the original Heritage Classic was in Edmonton, but it didn't feature the the Flames. Uh, but now they're going to do it, Pete. Um, th they showed the renderings today. I, I think you and I have had this conversation before. I, I'm a little disappointed in the NHL because they won't leave the ice in and 
Um, you know, it'd be nice if the junior teams could play and if the college teams could play and everything. And I, I get they want to protect the ice. Don't get me wrong. I understand why they're doing it. Um, I, I'm really curious to see how this goes over, right? Because it wasn't that long ago. It was only four years ago that the Flames played their last outdoor game in Regina. It's it's far more common than it was you know, when Ed, well, obviously Edmonton did the first one, but Calgary in 2011. Um, I'm very curious to see what the reaction is to this. Yeah, I am too. I'm wondering what the, what the ticket sales have been uh, so far for, uh, for this game in, in Commonwealth Stadium, as you say, uh, coming up in, in 12 days. Uh, I'm, I'm not planning to attend, but um, I'm sure there are a number of Calgary people that are planning to attend, but I'm wondering just where the ticket sales are at at this particular point in time. Uh, uh, one good thing about it is that it's being held much earlier than the last outdoor game they had in Edmonton and also uh, much earlier than the outdoor game they had in, in Calgary, as well as the one you talked about in Regina. Uh, having it in October uh, would guarantee that you're not going to have minus 25, minus 30 uh, temperatures uh, for the game. So the weather uh, should be uh, more acceptable for, for the uh, the fans and, and for the players as well. I mean, I, you know, talked to some of the Flame players from the game they had here in 2011, and they were talking about how cold it was uh, being on the bench, even though they had heaters there. When they get out onto the ice, it was extremely cold. So um, it should make it more comfortable for everybody playing this game in, in October. And so, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the game itself goes and also what the attendance is, is going to be. But yeah. having it as a battle of Alberta, in October, where the roads are clear as well, that uh, Calgary fans can make that drive up to Edmonton uh, to uh, to see the games. Also, uh, should uh, you know boost the attendance for for the for the game. Unless it's gotten to a point where this outdoor game is no longer a novelty, and the people aren't quite as interested in it as uh, they used to be when it was uh, first brought into the NHL. Uh, the long range, Peter, uh, for Edmonton is three degrees that day. So a low of minus four, three degrees, partly cloudy. And, and that's important. And I know it's a long ways off, so things can change. But we know that sun is the, the enemy here. We do not want sunny days when you have these outdoor games. That's right. Exactly. Absolutely. Because that doesn't do any help for the ice as well when the game is going on mm -hmm. and then back and forth. But it, but you're also right that 12 days in advance for a weather forecast in Alberta is much, much too early. I remember, yes. <laughs> interesting to say that you talked about our uh, Alzheimer's walk run that we had here a couple of a week and a half ago. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we had a meeting about 10 days before that, and one of the ladies from the uh, Alzheimer's office says, yeah, I was just checking the weather forecast for, uh, for our event you know, on October the, October the 8th, and we're supposed to get some snow. And <laughs> at that particular point in time, I said, no, this is a way too early to looking at the weather forecast. Okay. And as it turned out, as I mentioned earlier, it was an outstanding day uh, weather-wise as well as participation-wise. So 12 days in advance in Alberta, that's way, way, way too soon. I, I keep saying we're going to leave the Flames but and, and go on to some other things. I guess we are, but the Flames are in Buffalo tomorrow. And, and Pete, you and I haven't had a chance, but uh, we said goodbye to an all-time great this summer, Rick Jenneret. Uh, I know you know Rick. I was a huge fan of Rick. Um, you know, whatever the terminology you want to use. But it's funny, we were talking about the importance of AM radio and the importance of, you know, your hometown broadcast and and. Rick was really the epitome of that. And I know our times in Buffalo, you were always very generous in introducing me to Rick and, and saying hello. So um, it's going to be tough not having Rick around. It is indeed. But uh, based on what we've seen from games that have been played in uh, 
in uh, Buffalo, he's not forgotten there. I mean, they, they observed their opening game honoring uh, his great, great career that, uh, that Rick had with the, uh, with the Sabres. And uh, they've got uh, the, you know, they've got a, a monument out in front of the uh, building there in, in uh, Buffalo where the Sabers play. And I think there's some uh, there's also some uh, uh, penance as well. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Another uh, notations in the building uh, with regard to Rick Jenneret with the RJ uh, that is very, very prominent. And he liked to be called that RJ as, uh, as his nickname. And uh, ever since the time that I've known him, which goes way, way back to 19... 19- First time I met him was in 1978. And, uh, you know, it's interesting about, about uh, Rick was that he started off, he was a morning radio man in Niagara Falls. And uh, then the uh, then the Sabres uh, came to uh, Buffalo, getting an NHL franchise, and he applied for the job and, and ultimately got it. And then he, but he, for, I think for the first two or three years, he continued doing the morning show in Niagara Falls uh, when the Sabres were at home, and then he'd go into Buffalo to do the hockey game that night. But then he would go on the road and travel with the team, and uh, I, I guess he missed out on those morning shows in Niagara Falls then. But for about two or three years there, he was doing both of those situations, a morning show with music and then uh, doing a play-by-play broadcast of the uh, Sabres hockey. But a real, real great man, and uh, unfortunately he uh, left us over this past uh, offseason season. But uh, as mentioned, uh, Buffalo is not forgetting him. And most of us in the broadcasting business uh, won't forget Rick Jenneret either. And uh, his, his outstanding broadcasting is also his uh, friendship that uh, you had every time that uh, the Flames and Sabres would uh, get together. Um, but you know, Rob, we talk about the, the, uh, that outdoor game that's upcoming. I, I don't know. I think I've talked to you about it before. But that game that we had here in, in Calgary at McMahon Stadium, Today, to date, it's, uh, it's I still, I still, butt my head, thinking it was the worst game that I ever broadcast. It was, and it, it was some of it was my own fault. I remember about a week and a half before that game, 
Don Phelps, who worked at McMahon Stadium, and he was also involved uh, with the Calgary Canucks of the Alberta Junior Hockey sure. League for many, many years. Anyway, he took me up to the where the broadcast location uh, was and, and still is for football games at, at McMahon Stadium. And so I went up there, and at that time, they were putting the boards up uh, for the uh, for the hockey game. And so I get up there, and I, I looked around, and, you know, it's you're certainly more to one end than you are the other. But yeah. I'm thinking, no, I think this will be okay, because I had been asked prior to that if um, I wanted to have a big screen put up in the uh, the broadcast booth, because the, the location to broadcast from was so far from where the ice surface was. But after being up there that day, I said, no, I think it'll be okay. We'll be able to do it uh, real well. And then, of course, they had the, the Legends game on the Saturday, the day before the, the big game between the, uh, the Flames and Montreal Canadiens. And on that particular Saturday, they had the Canadiens uh, Legends against the Flame Legends. And uh, I was up there and did the play-by-play broadcast of that game and had no issues at all. But then, because the Flames were wearing their regular, regular Flame jerseys and the Canadians were wearing their regular jerseys, uh, that they would wear on, in a, on a road game. But then came the Sunday game, and the Flames were wearing these uh, uniforms that were uh, paying honor to the uh, Calgary's first professional hockey team, the Calgary Tigers. And so the the uniforms were so much different. I mean, they were um, they were um, you know they're just a different kind of form. And uh, reading the numbers from the distance I was at was really really difficult, and I had no trouble calling the names of the Flames players, or excuse me, the Canadians players. They're wearing their regular their regular jerseys yep. that they would wear. But the Flames one were really difficult to pick out the numbers, especially when the sun was out. And then it was kind of the glare coming off the, the back, coming up to where I was broadcasting from. And uh, I was, uh, I mean, I knew Mika Kiprasov was in net. And uh, <laughs> he certainly had quite a day getting the 4 nothing shutout, making 39 saves in, in that game. And then uh, the Flames, of course, uh, pulling off the victory. But I was not pleased with my performance in the broadcast booth that game. It just took, usually I can, you know, call a player, you know, the snap of a finger. But that particular day, I had to hesitate at times. And, and certainly in times, you couldn't, unless you get turned in the right direction to read the number, you couldn't tell. And even on even when you were doing broadcast from the Saddle Dome, if you couldn't tell the number, you could almost see, you know, could see the player much better than you could from that one. So it was, uh, you know, it was a game that I don't regret calling. I certainly, uh, but I wish I had called it a lot better than what I did. Now, from a positive standpoint, the television broadcasts of that game were right down near ice level, and they were freezing to death in the uh, minus 25-degree temperature that day. But up in the broadcast booth, at least we had warmth up there, even though it was a little more difficult to uh, to watch the game. So, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a confession. That was the worst game of the of the 3,246 3, games that I broadcast. Well, uh, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I, I'm I, glad I, they're not asking me to do the one in uh, Commonwealth Stadium. <laughs> Um, well, I think the booth's a little closer, Pete, if, if we're going to be honest. I think the booth is a little closer. Uh, the one thing I did learn because of exactly what you just said was, you know, the jerseys look spectacular and they were fantastic for everybody but a broadcaster. And yeah, yeah. You ha- and that's a lesson I learned. And, and I remember, you know, a couple when I was with CSEC and working for the Calgary Hitman, there were a couple of jersey incarnations we did where, you know, we brought them out in the ice and sent Brad Curl up to the press box. Can you read the numbers? Like, you know, there's some really good ideas, but can you read the numbers? 
because it is still an important part of it. So if nothing, it, I don't know if it was your worst, Pete, but I do know it was a, a lesson that I learned. So um, nothing we could do about it, though. We weren't in charge of that. No, we didn't have we and we didn't see the jerseys until the game that day. So, but then again, and even when the Flames changed their one year uh, more recently for games for the regular games, uh, they I forget now how they did that, but they had a uh, they had a uh, in the number they had a frame on it, and it made it real difficult from the distance we were broadcasting from sometimes to pick out the number, especially uh, from the from the sleeve. Uh, with the smaller number there. So, and then soon after that, they changed it to take that, uh, that screen away from it. Basically, I think it was black and that they put into the white or something like that, that made it difficult to, uh, to pick out numbers from our vantage point. But uh, anyway, that, like I say, they, the jerseys are made to sell, not for the broadcast. That's uh, that's exactly (laughs) it. Right. We were not, we were not at the top of their list. Having said all of that, it was such a blessing when I started to travel with the team, especially south of the border, and you go to practices and they'd have practice jerseys with numbers and names. Like that was such a blessing because you're so used up here yeah. just seeing helmet numbers, right? So Yeah. Was... And then eventually they went back to those helmet numbers. I remember yes, my last yeah. couple of seasons, I would sit right behind the net about three rows from the ice. And uh, when I, because you're watching the morning skate, you like to do a little bit of a play-by-play of the other team in your head so that sure. uh, that you're ready for the game that night. And then they started going back to having the numbers back on the back of the, uh, of the helmets. And, of course, they were so small, you could only see them when they got really close. So. <laughs> but, again, the practices aren't for the broadcaster. That's right. <laughs> no, that's that's for the team, Pete. Um, let's leave the Flames for a bit. Uh, just looking around the National Hockey League uh, one weekend, and, and, again, too early to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I'm sure there's some people that are a little bit surprised. Um, I guess the Edmonton Oilers sent us all a, a little bit of a note last night that they're going to be okay uh, but not a great start for them against Vancouver. No, that had to be stunning in Edmonton to have those two games against Vancouver, which uh, many people are feeling is not a good playoff, a contending team. And uh, yet uh, the Oilers go in to uh, win, uh, Vancouver and lose the opening game. It was at 8-1. And then yep. uh, the figure coming back home for the game on Saturday night. Now the Oilers are really going to be upset by getting beaten so badly in that uh, opening game of the season that they're going to, certainly turned the tables around in this game on Saturday night in their home ice. But as it turned out, they lost that game as well. And uh, so I'm sure there was quite an outcry in Edmonton. What's wrong with our team that's supposed to be a Stanley Cup uh, contending team and uh, they can't beat Vancouver in their building uh, or in our own building? But uh, as you mentioned, uh, last night they certainly got things turned around in Nashville with their big stars uh, coming through to show more and more of what we feel the Oiler team is. There was a lot of criticism of the goaltenders in those uh, those first two games. Uh, and that was something that was a question, one big question mark uh, going into the Oilers season. Uh, but, uh, you know, last night was one game in which they, they turned it around. It'll be interesting to see now how they go uh, forward with this. But I don't think they were as bad as they were. Uh, they're going to be as bad as they were in those first two games of the season uh, against the Canucks. Well, and take nothing away from Philadelphia, but the Canucks last night seemed to come back crashing down to earth too. Yes, they did. They did indeed. Well, I, I thought what they did in those first two games was a little bit or much more than I expected from them. And uh, it was more like their team in that game they had last night against uh, Philadelphia uh, in the Flyers' own building. And the Flyers, of course, aren't going to be a, a powerhouse team either. 
by, uh, you know, the look of things on paper by that team. But uh, the Canucks, you know, you thought maybe winning those two games at Edmonton uh, would uh, would have some momentum going in there against such a team, a weak team, and maybe gain a win. But uh, that indeed was not uh, not the case. But as I mentioned earlier, really too early in the season to be, uh, you know, developing uh, trends on what teams are going to be as the season progresses. Um, just, uh, I guess, some random thoughts on you. Uh, boy, Austin Matthews, back-to-back hat tricks. I mean, we've seen some some goals being scored early in other places, Pete. Yes, indeed. I mean, Toronto with those first two games coming off with an abundance of uh, goal scoring. And Austin Matthews getting hat tricks in the first two games. And there were big odds on whether he'd become uh, the very first NHL player to get a hat trick in three consecutive games to start a season, which uh, uh, he was brought back to life as the Maple Leaf were in their game uh, last night as well. But yeah, there has been an abundance of scoring in the in the early going uh, around the league. And, and I think traditionally, if you go back and look at it, and normally the scoring is a little bit higher in the early going before teams uh, get more into their uh, defensive uh, structure. And, uh, you know, we'll see how the, the progress goes as, as it moves along here. An interesting aspect, though, Rob, that, uh, uh, that I noted, uh, and actually I didn't note it, it was a comment that was made by Elliot Friedman on Hockey Night in Canada, just prior to the start of the season or early in the season, he made the comment he, that he, he thought that the NHL uh, referees have been instructed to call more penalty shots this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, so far, and so far this year, uh, we've, had, um, uh, we've had six penalty shots that have been assigned, uh, assessed so far. Two of them have resulted in goals. So that averages out to a goal or a, a penalty shot every six and a half uh, games where uh, last year, when you look at the penalty shot statistics, there was one penalty shot every uh, 26 games. So um, it's a real interesting uh, stat to notice how much more penalty shots percentage wise we've had in the early going. We had last year, the flames even had one the other night uh, when Coleman had his uh, penalty shot. However, unfortunately uh, he wasn't able to uh, score a goal on that one. So that's something to watch closely see if we're going to continue uh, with uh, the trend of having uh, more penalty shots than we've had in recent years around the NHL. As, as Friedman mentioned, he, he he understood or thought that the, the referees had been called, called more of them because uh, there are more of these situations where there are blatant offenses made uh, to players when they had a breakaway or very close to, to a breakaway. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues. And that'll, of course, add to the uh, the scoring trend if it's uh, going to be something that we're going to see on a more regular basis. Well, and, and I, I guess call me a pessimist, but knowing how crackdowns and things work in the National Hockey League, eventually we'll get to some point and somebody will get all frustrated and whine and complain and get a hold of Jeremy Jacobs or Gary Batman and go, oh, my team got the raw end of that. Um, but it's noticeable. And, you know, again, who turns away from that, right? Who Who doesn't want to watch that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because there's an exciting part of the game. I think that's why um, if they were instructed to call more, that's why it was done. But you're right. They'll they'll get messages from various teams about calls that they felt shouldn't have been penalty shots. There are too many penalty shots being called. And then uh, Bettman and his people will step in and uh, and inform the uh, referees rather quietly not to call as many penalty shots. So it's, uh, but it certainly is a trend early on in the season that we're seeing more frequently than we have in, in recent uh, past seasons. So we'll see if that continues uh, throughout the course of this campaign. 
Any other trends? Any other things in the NHL that? Well, I you think know, generally... thing, Rob, I've been I've been keeping I've been keeping tabs on attendance on opening nights oh, in uh, okay. home opening nights in the National Hockey League, and uh, you know I've looked at the um, looking at the Flames. Their attendance on opening night at the Saddle Dome was seventeen thousand four hundred and fourteen people. That was the announced attendance for that game. Now that's not a bad that's not a bad crowd, but. Normally, on, a, on an opening night game, especially home opening game, normally in the history of the Flames, they always have a sellout on opening night. And uh, this time, there were 90.2% uh, capacity being used for that particular game rather than 100%. Now, other than the Winnipeg Jets and the Philadelphia Flyers, every other NHL team that's had their home opener, and the four of them still haven't had it, all of them have had at least 100% capacity, some a little over 100% capacity in the announced crowds at those uh, games. So you look at the the thing that concerns me is about the Flames is that normally they do sell out their, their home opening game. And as I mentioned, they didn't this time. And I'm, I'm wondering that, you know, there are a number of factors I think that come into play here. One is, of course, the, the season that they had last year. I know there were a number of uh, season ticket holders that I talked to during the offseason and fans that were not happy with what they saw from the Flames' performance last year. Some of them said they were going to wait and see about their uh, renewing their season tickets and, and that sort of thing uh, and um, and see how things would pan out with the team going forward through the summer. So maybe they were waiting a little longer into the season. But And another factor there is there's a is the Saddledome itself. It's a, it's an old building, and we're certainly glad to have the news that plans are going forward now to get the uh, new one uh, constructed. It's going to take a little while before we see the opening doors for that game, that building, but certainly it's a positive note that we're going to have it. But in the meantime, plans are going to have to have at least this season and two more seasons uh, in the uh, in the Saddledome. Another thing, there's a lot of road construction going on around the Saddledome. And uh, that, I think, is it must be another factor that are keeping people away from, from the building at this particular uh, point in time. I went to uh, one of the uh, preseason games. And, of course, I went there real early, so the uh, traffic around the building wasn't bad at all. And then I left about halfway through the second period, so that wasn't a problem leaving. But for people coming you know, for a game and they're arriving a half hour before or in that range uh, and then leaving afterwards, it's a tremendous amount of uh, – uh, traffic to deal with the coming and going to the building. Now that's not going to change this year as they continue with the, now once that's all done, it's going to make a great, uh, great traffic around the building. But certainly for right now, it's, it's a bit of a deterrent. The thing that concerns me though, is that I think this year's flame team uh, on paper is a team that contend and, and, and should make the playoffs. But going forward, this team, I think eventually is going to have to go through a, a reboot or, or a rebuild or that sort of thing. And I really wonder what the attendance is going to be like then. I've, I've had fans tell me we're not going to go through this young stars thing that uh, we went through uh, again, which of course was part of the latter part of the nineties and into this millennium where the, uh, the flames were uh, heavily advertising the young players in their system. And uh, oh, this was going to be so great. Well, it didn't turn out so great. The team went seven straight years with no playoffs and the mm -hmm. attendance in the building was down dramatically. I mean, you can remember Rob, uh, oh, yeah. The start of the 03-04 season, which was such a dramatic season, you go back to the start of that year, there were games there, there were games that season early on where there weren't 8,000 people that were in the building. And uh, it, it stayed that way. And then, and then of course, uh, Daryl Sutter, who was the general manager and coach, made the trades that brought in Mika Kiprasov, and then suddenly everything changed. 
the team yep. that was in last place in the Western Conference at that point in time, in the middle of, of November, uh, turned around, made themselves uh, get into the playoffs and then had that tremendous run uh, to the Stanley Cup final. And the sellouts then for that continued for many, many years after that. But during that downtime, there were I'm sure there were cast calls for ownership of the Flame team because the attendance wasn't where they, they wanted it to be, certainly well below what they wanted it to be. And hopefully what we're seeing now is a sign that something we might see a little further down the road when this team you know, has to, uh, as I say, reboot or rebuild because they do have an older team, certainly not as uh, not as old as Pittsburgh and, and some of the other teams there that are up their age, but they are they are a team that have uh, have a lot of older players on, on their team, and they've got five or six players on on the team that the contracts are running out at the end of uh, of this year. And uh, you know, one of the reasons why the Flames, you know, people say, well, gee, the Flames never really have been a you know they've been a first place team a couple of years ago in the in the uh, division, but they've never really been what you would call a Stanley Cup contender for a while. Well, when you look at it, they've always been a team that's been the, in the middle of the road or even a little bit better than the middle of the road. And so their drafting position has not been oh. a, a, a great one, certainly not like Edmonton. who had all those early uh, first overall picks and other early picks that have built their team to what they're at now. And so that has been a, you know, an issue with the, the team has been okay on the ice, but it affects their drafting position. If you're not, uh, if you're not drafting in the top five or six, uh, you're, you know, the chances of you getting a star player, there's uh, there's the odd guy that does become a fifth-round player that turns out to be a standout, but that's a very rare situation. So there's all these elements to take into uh, into account here. So not to be on a negative nature, but I'm hopefully no. this team is, uh, you know, not headed in that direction from a standpoint of attendance because that's the, the key lifeblood of a, of a National Hockey League uh, team. I, I, you know, I know this because I lived it. Um, there's two worlds. There's the fans and the media's world, and then there's the business world. And, you know, the reality is the Flames are a business. CSEC is a business. It's about selling tickets. It's about putting bums in seats. I get and understand why people want rebuilds, Pete. I get it. I understand it. Burn it to the ground. But are you buying tickets for that? To your point, you know, we saw what happened with the young guns. And rebuilds are not automatic. Rebuilds are rebuilds are risk, too. You know, because what you were just talking about, the Flames Flames have never drafted higher than fourth. Are, are the only right. what you you'd only I, I don't I wouldn't include the the last bunch of expansion teams in this conversation, but the Flames are pretty much the only team that's never drafted first overall in the NHL. Calgary, Atlanta did, but Calgary has. And you yep. know what, Pete? I I think of Alexi Lafreniere and Connor Bedard. You can get a first overall pick. But you need to get the right first overall pick, right? And right. to be perfectly yeah. honest, Edmonton, I mean, Nugent Hopkins is a good player. Hall's a good player. But their ability to win that lottery and get McDavid was just franchise chasing or uh, changing. And there's no guarantee there. It, the only thing that's going to come up here in the next little bit, Pete, is new building fever. That if they can yeah. get to the new building, new building fever should carry the business for a couple of years. Absolutely. The novelty of having that new building will create sellouts every night uh, for, for two seasons, for sure, if not a little more than that. And, yeah. uh, the, you know, that's that's one of the blessings that's out there for the 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 near future for the for the flame, not the immediate future. But if they can, you know, sustain things up until then, then, you know, things will be fine from a standpoint of attendance with the with the team. So uh, they're back for a homestand next week. So hopefully that will see the attendance rise up from what we saw uh, on opening night. Uh, with the 17-4-1-4. Um, before I let you go, 
if you could. Oh, now, having them, said that, Rob, now, now, yes. having said that, the Winnipeg Jets are in worse shape. In fact, there's now some talk about whether or not Winnipeg's going to be able to continue to have an NHL team. They have played two home games, and they have been below well below capacity in both of them. Their home opener, they had uh, uh, they had 88% was the uh, capacity they had that night for their building, which is uh, 13,410 seats. And last night, they had the lowest attendance the Winnipeg Jets have had since they returned to Winnipeg as they had uh, capacity last night was 74% uh, for that game there in a building that's a small building to start with. They just signed two of their top players to long-term contracts. And I remember when that franchise came to Winnipeg from Atlanta, there were a lot of people said, yes, with the novelty here, we're going to have great crowds. I think think one of the stipulations to buy a season ticket then is that you had to commit for five years. And yes. then, uh, you know, uh, to, to get the season committed for five straight seasons. And that's past that now. And we're seeing how small that crowd is, despite Winnipeg having a pretty good team. Uh, it's not being reflected in their home attendance. And there's, there is some concern now in Winnipeg about whether or not this team can, can sustain its time in that city. If they lose a team for the second time, uh, that would be a total disaster for that Manitoba city. I, I find it frustrating at times that we spend and I'm I'm guilty of it don't get me wrong but I'm frustrated at times that we spend so much time worrying about the cap going up so the teams can spend more money and not worrying enough about the the cost of what it means to be a fan and you know Pete I I used to hear from fans on overtime and other shows oh it's a corporate crowd it's a corporate crowd thank god it's a corporate crowd because I'll tell you right now most of the season tickets uh, are bought by corporations and that's how people go People get them from other people. You cannot deny that. That's part of the ecosystem. And, and you know, I'm not a beer drinker, but, you know, part of where money is made now is on F&B and, and retail and all those things. And God bless. But at some point you reach a, a point where people just throw their arms up in the air and go, that's ah, too much. Right. Especially if you're a family. Uh, that's the that's always the concern is when do you breach that threshold? And trust me, Calgary is nowhere near some of these other cities in terms of their food costs and things like that. But with a new building comes new expectations, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and you mentioned the cost of tickets, uh, price of tickets is going up. And, you know, in the news, you hear the cost of food going up, the cost of housing going up, the cost of this going up, that going up. So it's, um, you know, it, you know, and housing and food is, uh, you know, more of a preference than going to a hockey game. Yes. And if they don't have the corporate people buying the season tickets, to your yeah. point, it's um, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's I, I always hopefully, I always hopefully it's going to be good. But I'm just you know putting out a little no, point that we're not seeing the crowds <laughs> that that uh, we're used to seeing for flame games. But Pete, you and I met. They're not bad at seventeen thousand, but still, it's not nineteen thousand we've become used to seeing for just about every flame game. I know last year I think they only sold out three three of the regular season games. So I'm I'm worried about the Columbuses and the Anaheim games that are middle of the week. Those are, you know, selling those tickets in the middle of the week. Weekends will always be a little bit insulated. Rivals will always be a little insulated. But those midweek games against the weak sisters, um, you know, and, and I go back. Honestly, Pete, I go back to when you and I first started working together. There was no salary cap. There was a Canadian equalization fund. You and I both know, regardless of what anybody else said, there was a gap. 
between the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers and everybody else. And there was no Winnipeg Jets. And the, the Maple Leafs were different, but even Montreal was struggling, right? And yep. uh, I get nervous when I hear 11,000 people in Winnipeg. I really do, because that team, they deserve, that city deserves that team. But yes, it's a business. they do, because they, you know, they, they, they've got a oil, they've got a, you know, they get an ardent, ardent city of fans. But unfortunately, yep. they're not coming to the games right now in the numbers that they used to. And it's creating some concern in that city. And, uh, you know, the fact that they were able to sign, uh, uh, Shifley and the goaltender, you know, to long-term contracts with many people thought they they weren't interested in signing for that eight-year term in Winnipeg. That's indeed was the case uh, coming out with the announcement just prior to the start of the uh, start of the season. So it's uh, you know, and then this week you hear this news that their crowds are are down substantially. Well, and it uh, used to be you could sell tickets on spite, and uh, Dubois came back last night with Los Angeles like that. That should have been you know in. Previous times, that would have been a sold-out crowd just to boo that guy. Just to boo the guy. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that would have been the incentive, and it would have been a sellout, and everybody would have been in in that booing mode. So, speaking of booing, I was shocked to hear the fans in Montreal booing Connor Bedard in that game on on Saturday night, and uh, I I can't figure out why. Because he was born a year too late. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> Maybe right. they were more than booing his parents who were at the game. Yeah, because like we could have had them. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? Yeah, I don't. I, I, I guess it's it's the good old fashioned rivalry stuff and everything like that. But um, you know, come on, Pete, you were here in in the eighties. People weren't really warm for the greatest player that ever played the game, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But that was a rivalry. Sure. Montreal and Chicago doesn't have quite the rivalry that the Flames and the Oilers no, ever had. No. But, but um, oh, well, that's, fans can do whatever they want as long as they don't harm anybody. They're angry, Pete. The fans are angry. Yep. <laughs> Good to talk oh, to you, my, my friend. We'll, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Be well. Okay, you too, Rob. Great as well. And hopefully uh, the weather's getting a little better. I see it's brighter out now. Perfect. Perfect. Well, you made it bright. I'm going to go. For, I'm going to go for a walk. <laughs> okay. Talk to you soon. Thanks. See you Pete. later. Take care, man. Already. Everybody. Peter Marr, everybody. Ah, he's the greatest. Longtime voice of the Calgary Flames, the seven-time Hall of Famer. Uh, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, SkiSellerSnowboard.com. Seventy-six years. Seventy-six years. Seventy-six years in Calgary. Nowhere else. Calgary, and they take care of your needs. Your skiing needs, your snowboarding needs, your outdoor needs. But more importantly than that, they're, they're people who are going out as well. So you might go in one day and you might not see the guy that, that sold you your skis or the girl that sold you your snowboard. And you're going to, well, where are they? They're out, they're out on the hill because they're, they're, you know, they're adamant and avid, avid outdoors people too. Check them out. Two locations open right now. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, Bow Ridge Road, Northwest, nothing else type in ski snowboard.com into your browser and see what they're up to um jack's not feeling great but we're gonna get him to answer some questions before we do that uh, along this business stuff um i just wanted to do a little bit of nba and nfl so let's start with the nfl because the nfl has got a couple of projects that i just wanted to highlight one and this, and Jack and I were talking about this off the air. So I, you're probably not going to get 
what you want out of me um, because I, I get it. Uh, but Roger Goodell is about or has just signed a new extension. Uh, here's front office sports. Um, according to uh, Kaplan Sports Biz, uh, he signed and finalized his deal. It'll run through 2027. His career earnings, career earnings are roughly $700 million. $700 million. For a guy who at the best of times seems standoffish, at the, as a guy who doesn't do a lot of front-facing stuff, and when he does, he's awkward. For a guy that oversaw Deflategate, has overseen some other league silliness, it's easy as a fan, it's easy as a media member to go, what the, hey, why are they, this guy's, this guy couldn't lead a two-car parade. It's actually the opposite of that. You look at what he has done and how he has positioned this league and how they have been cutting edge in technology and broadcast, how they have just continued to grow and not slow down, uh, but grow exponentially every year. Um, how he has walked them through the Daniel Snyder situation was not easy. There, there have been a handful of these really messy, um, you know, uh, situations uh, involving uh, uh, coaches, but owners in particular, and and dealing with the sales of teams and transitioning from names and and things that, uh, you know, Goodell. Well, publicly, probably wouldn't pull better than 35 percent, 40 percent in popularity behind the scenes for the people that he works for. He's golden. He's absolutely golden. And so 700 million. That's probably right. Career earnings for the guy that's guided the league um, to what just unprecedented heights. Um, the ability to pivot on the sin stuff um, to go from. Gambling is evil and we shall never have anything to do with it to embracing the money that comes from legalized sports betting to, well, we can't have players. We can't have players. They've navigated that. Um, they're brought, I keep coming back to broadcast. The only thing that matters on over the air these days is sports. And the only thing that really matters on over the air this, these days is the NFL. They still draw you know, Super Bowl can get close to 100 million eyeballs. There's networks that won't go a month with 100 million eyeballs, but they can still do it. And that's all under the the guise of, of or under the leadership of, of Roger Goodell. So, um, you know, interesting and, and kind of sets the standard and how other leagues uh, view their leadership. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, too, was uh, this, this is an interesting initiative by the NFL. They're asking we're going to allow fans to submit ideas. Um, now it, it reminds me a little bit of a digital, um, suggestion box, but the NFL is, is collecting, is going to set up a program called NFL Ford. It's a platform that allows anyone, anyone to submit creative proposals to advance the game. Emphasis in solutions in tech, flag football, fan experience, and inclusion. Tech and fan experience will be really interesting. Flag football will be really interesting. Inclusion Curious to see what they get out of that. The question I have for something like this is, if you come up with this new fan experience idea, how do you, you know, and you submit it to the NFL, you know, the last thing on earth I want to do, and I have nothing against uh, the legal community, lawyers and judges or anything like that, but so you give up your idea or how do you get rewarded if you come up with the next big idea? 
but I thought this was really cool. Um, it's a start. I want to see how they want to see how it works out. My hope is that if they get something that works, they tell us about it. Like this was submitted by a fan through the NFL forward program. They made an actual tangible difference in the game. Uh, by the way, we mentioned this a couple of days ago, flag football added to the 2028 Olympic games. And you're now starting to hear the possibility of NFL players wanting participation in that. Just saw it briefly today. Didn't do a deep dive on it today. Just saw that some NFL players have already begun current active players. Um, one NBA note, and then we'll get some questions and, and we'll call her a day. Um, the LA Clippers are just putting the final touches on their building. Um, I wanted to share a little bit of this with you, courtesy of uh, front office sports, $1.2 billion future home of the Clippers, uh, the, uh, into it. If you have, uh, turbo tax or, uh, uh, into it is, uh, um, anyway, the, the one that all of the small business owners use, um, how about this power, power at every seat power. So conceivably you could charge your phone, your devices or whatever power at every seat, an acre scoreboard, double the toilets of any NBA arena. You laugh, you laugh, but the number one complaint about old buildings and new buildings in Edmonton, I'm looking at you, is the lineups in the washroom. That you cannot, it does not appear that you can build a facility with enough toilets. And then the wall, the wall. No suites, just 51 rows of seats for fans. So you, if you, by not putting in suites, you're taking away your premium services and now that makes other premium services harder and maybe more expensive. But these are this innovation is interesting to me. I said it off the top. Very curious to see what innovations we will have in Calgary. Or are we just going to build state of the art of what we've always had? No, we won't have, you know, power at every chair, but we'll have some power up centers or something like that. No, we're not thinking like. The, the 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 saddle dome took a risk with the roof to fit in to be part of the, the skyline the whole nine it's iconic but it eliminated load lift and at the time nobody was thinking we'd ever need a roof to support the weights that we now needed to support thus once we started getting into these big lighting rigs concerts couldn't necessarily come to calgary anymore i'm very curious what you know the wall in 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 Los Angeles for, for the Clippers. Is that something they're going to renovate in 10 years and put suites into? Or is that going to catch on as the next big thing? Somebody's got to do it first. Somebody's got to do it best. So that's what the LA Clippers are up to. Uh, Jack, I know you're a little under the weather, but do we have any questions or concerns we need to clear up before we call our show? Yeah, we got a couple of questions here. Apologies that I do not sound the greatest. All good, um, do you think the Calgary Flames have a likable roster? Is this a team that fans are getting behind? Is this a team that fans are getting behind? Likable. Um, hmm. What an interesting question. I think it can be. Um, I don't I don't know what the fans 
I haven't got a good read. I think after wins and losses, you get a little bit of this. So you get a little bit of that. Um, I think the coach is approachable. I think the star players on this team can be approachable. I think Michael Backlund's as approachable as a, um, you know, as, as a, as a hockey player can be. Um, I think Dubé when he's on his game is fun to watch. I think Coronado gets you excited. Um, when and if Wolf gets here, I think he will. So, yes, I think Zadorov's got some personality to him. Do I think it's likable? Yeah, I think it's likable. But your number one aspect of any Q rating will be your success. If they win, they'll be really likable. Hell, that team that last year I was on Sportsnet, that team that with Butler and, you know, after they moved to Ginla and Bomeister, you know, Kandari, those guys were all likable, but it's a terrible team, right? Terrible team. Rob, I do have a question for you. Like mm -hmm. right now at the Flames, do you have a player that you're like super excited to watch every night when the Flames are playing or do you not really feel that way about anyone? Cor Coronado. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think so because I stuck my neck out a little bit early on, um, you know, saying that this is a guy that I think if the team's going to have success, he, his name's got to be in the Calder mm. conversation. It's not right now. It's just not. Um, but I, I like watching him out on the power play. It has become apparent to me once again uh, how big a jump it is or, you know, preseason and regular season, just they're not even the same game. They ought to give them different names. You ought to call the other one squabble or something because it's not, it's not NHL hockey. Um, and he looked, you know, when he was playing squabble, he was great when he's in the NHL right now, he looks, he looks lost at times and, you know, other times he looks good. Um, he's, he's one. And um, I, I guess Markstrom, I, I, I probably always defer back to the bias of the goaltender. I think it's, you know, like the pitcher, like the quarterback, it's the unique position. Um, I, I've, I've talked to Jacob Markstrom. I, I think he's a really neat human being. Um, you know, I thought he had a great year two years ago. He was terrible last year. Um, that's the nature of the sport. Um, so, and, and I don't know if it's so much, I like to watch him. It's just, if he plays okay, then, then it kind of takes his whole one conversation away. Um, but if he lets in that early goal, it's like, oh, here we go again. And, and it leads to, you know, down a counterproductive conversation that, you know, you have to have, right? Yeah. Next question here. Who are the best guests that would randomly show up in the hot stove lounge? Best guests that would randomly show up in the hot stove lounge? Mm -hmm. um, Vili Niemannen, for sure. Uh, Vili Niemannen would hang out uh, when his career was winding down with San Jose. He, he wasn't playing. He'd just show up after the game and sit in there and grab a beer and drink. And every once in a while, we put a headset on him. Chris Sutter, a young Chris Sutter. Um, every once in a while, he would work his way down and sit and listen. And um, Daryl would get a little panicked to where he was and he'd find him in the hot stove lounge. Um, uh, <clears throat> Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Holland was, Kenny Holland with Detroit, and I'm sure now with Edmonton, the same thing. He was he was the easiest guy. Like, Kenny, you want? Yep. Yeah, you wouldn't even finish the question. And he came in every time. I just remember one time um, he came in and he had some gum in his mouth. And he went to take the gum out. And I started pointing at 
the the garbage which was behind the door but kenny thought i was getting rid of him and he turned around and he left and we're like where did kenny go and so i think it was will or somebody bolted into the hallway caught him at the elevator he said oh i thought you guys didn't want me I thought you're getting rid of me no 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 come on in um yeah i mean uh, barry trotz would stop by Boudreau would stop by um anybody with a connection to the flames you know uh, if they came back in like mclaney was with anaheim he popped his head in uh, god bless him we talked about on the last show steve monador was always when he was with anaheim or florida or wherever he was always coming in um, you know, Ken King would come in and he'd throw stuff and, uh, throw beef jerky at us and mess up our papers and then leave. Um, yeah. So there was, it was quite a, it was, there was quite a community that, that came in and participated in the hospital lounge. I miss it dearly. Last question for you. Sure. How was the transition going from uh, media to working with the flames? Um, it was interesting. It took me a while um, I had done it before, so it wasn't, you know, I'd, I'd worked on the team side before and I'd worked in game operations before, but, um, yeah, it, it, it just reinforces to me that there's two worlds, right? There's that, the fan and the media world, and then there's the business world. And, um, you know, the things that, uh, each value or the things that are important are, are not necessarily the same things. I mean, Ultimately, I think everybody wants a great fan experience. I think the fans want that. The team wants that. The media wants that. You you want it to be a fun environment. You want it to be, you know, even for the media, I don't, you know, there isn't a media person that alive that says, I'd rather cover a team that doesn't make the playoffs. You want to be in those meaningful games and those types of things. Um, probably the, I, I would say it was more difficult from going from the media side uh, to the team side than the other, than it would be the other way. Um, just because, um, you know, your, pr the priorities are different, right? You're, it's about selling tickets. It's about selling merchandise. It's about, you know, for me anyways, about creating future fans. I, um, you know, could have talked about that with Pete when he was talking about attendance. I, I think one of the most important things for any, and we do it with the, the surge or, you know, and I know the cavalry are working on it, but it's future fan development. You know, the, the Calgary Hitman, you can, there's a lot of reasons the Calgary Hitman exist, but to me, the biggest reason the Calgary Hitman exists is they should be your first um, visit to the Dome as a, as a young person, that that you should be used to coming to the Dome because you were able to come to Hitman games. The price point, the, you know, the accessibility, um, you know, even the crowds being a little smaller, it's a little easier to get around. That's where you should be setting up and building your fans so that you know follow them then you've got college packages and high school packages from group sales and then you follow them all the way through and and it you know once i get to the business world well i've been going to the dome for all these years it's just natural for me to buy tickets so um yeah it was it it took a while it was a little bit of a transition i won't lie but it wasn't something that i wasn't used to either i i had done it before um but it is i'm here to tell you it's completely completely different priorities another question came in here rob actually sure. relating to him and has the with the rankers coming to calgary has that hurt the hitman well i i don't know specifically in the business numbers because i left after or before that but um i i think it has i mean just anecdotally i think um it's this they have done nothing to 
um, split the markets, um, which is easier said than done. I think if you look at the the flames are a specific market, they're a premium market, uh, upscale market. The Stampeders can be both. The, the Roughnecks really play to a, a younger audience. At least that's what they want to market. Um, but I think the Wranglers and the Hitmen in many ways, it probably just split that fan base. Uh, I think one of the hardest things to do is, is to create uh, two, two individual fan bases in the same sport in the same location um, that can be self-sustaining. So um, again, I'm beating a dead horse here, but part of the reason why I, I've squawked so loudly that the practice facility should have been 5,000 seats is you need to separate them. Even if it's just putting them across the street, you need to separate them. Um, it's hard to have a full, neither of those teams really have an identity. They can't put ice logos in. They can't really do anything within the bill. Yeah. They can change up the board signs and the graphics packages and stuff like that, but they're still playing in the flames building. So, um, you know, from a business standpoint, you have to look at the cost that it was to, to run the team in Stockton. Um, you know, healthcare alone was, you know, a huge bill for, for the, for CSEC, I believe. Um, so, you know, the good probably outweighs the bad, but um, I think it's just been really difficult to try and establish two fan bases. They'll tell you they have, and, and I'm sure they have in some cases, but, um, you know, the Hitmen have their handful of games that they're going to draw really well, Teddy Bear and Be Brave and and uh, and Every Child Matters. And, and now it's up to the Wranglers to find their games that they can do the same thing. But uh, I, I suspect that both teams are – those midweek games – I don't care, like one team, two teams, five teams. Midweek sporting events are hard to sell. They're hard to get interest. Um, and the problem is you try to avoid playing them, but everybody's trying to avoid playing them. And, and unless you go to an all-weekend league system, somebody's got to play midweek and you're going to be forced to. And there's going to be some times when you're going to have to suck it up and there's going to be less than 1,000 people in the building. That'll do it for today. Thanks. That'll Thanks do it for question. today. All right, buddy. Uh, before we go home, just want to tip my hat. Uh, speaking of uh, the Calgary Flames, Andrew Mangiapani yesterday announcing a new community program called Manja's Breadsticks. Love it. I believe it's in the community of Ogden, and it's going to use hockey to teach kids uh, from tr uh, troubled and difficult backgrounds uh, the skills that they need in life. Uh, what's important to me is, is that young men like Mangiapani put their names on their programs. This is exactly what Jerome did. This is exactly what uh, Lanny did. Mark Giordano did. So many of the, the flames that have come before have given back to the community. I know that um, his, and I apologize, I believe it's fiance, but it might be girlfriend, uh, is participating with them as well, which I think is fantastic. And they'll get the full support of Candace Gowdy and the foundation, which is great. But I, I love... Um, you know, player like, and he's, uh, he's tied it in with the Italian sportsman's dinner. They were always tied in with Mark Giordano. And, and that particular event is, as everybody knows, one of the premier sports fundraisers in all of Calgary. And they put their weight behind this. So just a tip of the hat to Andrew Mangiapani for his breadsticks program. I love it. Uh, congratulations. Let's see more of it. Uh, we're back on Friday, guest to be named later. I guess I'll have to do some work today. Um, really looking forward to the, that conversation, though, because we'll be through the Buffalo game and getting ready for the Columbus game for the Calgary Flames. The uh, uh, Stampeders are actually going to play in BC on Friday night. And gosh darn it, didn't you know it's actually now a meaningful game? 
uh, and the uh, Cavalry are at home on Saturday uh, to Pacific. Uh, winner of that game moves on to the finals to play the Forge. So a lot going on in the city, a lot of positive stories we want to get to, but some challenging ones as well. It's just a game, right? At the end of the day, it's just a game. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about Jack, our producer, uh, for making this show happen today. It shouldn't have happened, but he made it happen. So really proud of the kid. He, he deserves a raise. Um, unfortunately, I can't give it to him. But I'll talk to somebody. You can guarantee that. Have a great couple of days. We're back with you on Friday. Talk to you later, everybody.